I'm gonna trick former guest Ben into making us theme song. That's it. Okay. Better, closer, warmer. Uh, all modern art is communistic. I want to be the first man to nut in space. Fuck you. Fuck off. Where are we finding it? Why can't we Better, find it? Closer, Why do you guys warmer. keep saying all this change? We're playing Fortnite. Let's have fun. We need to get to that post-World War II mentality where Better, closer, no one in the warmer. world is going to Twitch and typing in climate first. Don't tweet us about how our stuff's inaccurate. At this point, I don't think the N-word tape would change anything. The piss tape might. From New Orleans to New York. It's the Alienos Podcast, baby. Dude, that was TNT. Welcome back. The Illenials Podcast is happening. I'm Smith. I'm Seth. We are back here in the Illenials original studio. In the OG studio, just for the fans. Mm-hmm. We knew you wanted it, so we're back together. I can see his ugly mug right now. It's, yep, yep. It's fascinating. I've been growing a beard, so it's getting even worse. Yes. The situation he's on my face is deteriorating. I don't know if we've ever talked this before, but I have a beard, and mm-hmm. he's copied me. I've had a beard for two years now. To be he's fair. He's never shown any interest in actually growing one, and all of a sudden he wants one. To be fair, I did grow a beard in my unemployed stage between college and getting a job, and it was truly terrible, and I didn't do it ever, it's ever since because it was a bad idea. I'm doing it again now because, I don't know, I got tired of shaving, basically. You don't even shave though. You just use electric. It's so easy. You just do it in five seconds. You just, you're done. I got tired of doing that too. Wow. Like I wasn't doing it often enough for it to matter. Like it would grow out and look bad anyways. So I was just like, just let it look bad. Why even? Why even do it? I mean, yeah, it's not like you look good without it. So it's true. You know. And hey, maybe maybe I can just grow a beard that'll 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 cover up whatever's underneath here. No one that's true. That might that might help. I don't know. But he it the point is he copied me and he won't admit it. No, I don't there are now three male members of our family who, or two besides me, who've copied me on the beard thing. They uh-huh. decided to do it and not at least they don't acknowledge it. They can just say, "Hey, yeah, I did it because it looks so good on Seth." They just don't say that. They're just like, "Oh no, I just, I just wanted to do it because this is who I am and this is how I'm feeling right now, buddy." Who's the other person that grew a beard? Our cousin. Oh right, yeah, he did do that, didn't he? Yeah. I haven't seen his beard. I haven't seen a picture of it's it. Pretty I'm, nice. I'm sure. I'm sure it's interesting. It's a good beard. But yeah, it's it's post it's post Thanksgiving. Yep, it uh, is Black Friday. We're coming to you live yep. on Black Friday. It's definitely live when we recorded this. Yep. Um, we are not recording it asynchronously. Can you imagine that would be like if I recorded like a segment and sent it to you through email and then you recorded your response? I'm convinced people who listen to this show probably think that's how it's recorded. <laughs> Back in the day, they used to play games like that. They used to play like turn-based, like strategy games. They used to play by email, so you know you would do your entire turn, then email it to the other players, and they would play their turn. They would they would play the turn on their game, and then they would play their turn as well. Exactly, yeah. the it's, honor it was, system. It's like it's like a slightly more high-tech version of playing chess by mail. Yeah. What was wrong with people? I mean, there's no online video games. So, that's yeah, true. I guess if you want to play with somebody, you got to do it the hard way. I guess that's true. I feel like I feel like playing chess by mail was the thing you that only uh, like extremely old people did or extremely shut in people did, which probably are one of the same for some certain section of the population. Yeah, I'm sure there's a good Venn diagram for those two sectors of the population. So we ate a lot of food, ate a fell lot, asleep, still full, and uh, you fell asleep. We fell asleep. We slept all of the rest of Thanksgiving. Woke up today. We said, you know what we need to do? We need to watch a movie and then do a podcast. No, actually, you're wrong about that. Um, we didn't sleep after we ate. We actually made a bigger mistake. We did. We made a big mistake. So we watched a movie yesterday. We watched two movies. We watched three. We're talking about yeah. all three of them. Yeah, we are. This is a, this is a movie cast, by the way. Yeah. This is all. This is gonna be three hours of us talking about three movies. Talk about movies, basically. So, what, which one should we start with? The first one we watched. Let's let's start with let's start with the the first one. Yeah. Let's just go in order. So sorry to bother you. Yeah. Sorry to bother you. Okay. This is a movie we could do episodes about if we wanted. Yeah. Several. We had both um, previously seen it alone, yeah, but now separately. we saw it together. And we watched it in the same room, live, mm-hmm. at the same time. Did not... We did not asynchronously email each other which scene we were on, mm-hmm. um, which we easily could have done. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but yeah, so sorry to bother you. I'm sure anyone listening to this podcast has probably already seen it. Do we need to even go over... If you, if you haven't seen the movie, you should. It is definitely the most popular movie to come out in the past few years that really is a leftist movie. Yeah. A very mm-hmm. strong leftist sentiment in the movie. Yeah. 
Um, I would I would say that uh, Sorry to Bother You is perhaps the most important movie ever made for, for leftists that I know of. I'm not saying I'm some kind of huge expert or yeah. buff here. But it it just depicts the, 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 the idea of a person who... Uh, I guess you could say Cassius starts the movie off as a lumpen prol. He's not interested in revolution. He just wants to take to do his job, make money, and and uh, and yeah. live his own, his own life. And Squeeze, played by Stephen Yun, is a there's a word for it, but I don't know what it is. He's a rambling unionizer. He he goes around to businesses and unionizes them. Yeah. Uh, something that used to exist does not anymore for obvious reasons. Yeah. But the movie basically is Cash is a telemarketer, and they're going to try and unionize the telemarketing company. And Cash is played by Keith Stanfield from yes. Atlanta, by the way. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so they, they this this whole thing is going is going on, but it kind of takes more of a hyper a hyperactive approach to reality. Because yeah. the company he works for doesn't just do telemarketing; they also sell weapon systems and slave labor. Yeah, but you don't realize that until you get a level up in the company. Yeah, the know? power callers. The power callers. Where uh, Cassius makes his way to the power caller because he's so good at using his white voice to sell things. Yeah, Cassius he's black and he uh, puts on a white voice, which is which is who is David Cross, I think. David Cross does his voice. Yes. David Cross does his voice, um, and he's able to sell things incredibly well. So he, he progresses up in the company while his fellow workers are putting on a strike. And they're actively trying to unionize and uh, fight for better wages for all employees. And so Cassius becomes a scab. He Every day at the picket line of security force, which is literally, I think, just named Blackwater, uh, breaks the strikers' lines to get the power callers through uh, to the upper levels of the company to, to sell basically bombs and bullets. And there's a company in, in the movie called Worry Free, which is uh, radically changing labor, as they would call it, by selling you a lifetime contract. You sign up for a life to work for them. You get a bunk and you get meals and you work every day for them. Yeah. With no no wage. No wage. Because you, you, te- you technically don't need one because mm-hmm. you're living on their facility and eating their food mm-hmm. and never have to work. You're, you're worry-free the rest of your life. Right. Which is just another form of slavery. Yeah, it's literally slavery. And they try to say in the movie, Steve, Steve Liff played brilliantly, I should add, by Mar- Arnie Hammer. Who Army. Is, it's Arnie, yeah? Arnie Hammer? Army. Army? Army Hammer. It's Army, really? Yes. Well, it's Army for Arnold. Okay. Army Hammer, which is a much cooler name now. Uh, he he channels this, like, the, the, the manic sort of uh, of energy of a CEO who thinks that, that, that they're doing the right thing and can't comprehend yeah. anything but that. He tries to say that it's not, for, it's not slavery because there's no implication of force. But he doesn't really comprehend the fact that we are all under threat of force because we, if you don't work, you die. And that is that is violence yeah. essentially. And if you haven't seen the movie, um, when you watch it, realize there there are some twists and turns in this movie. You are yeah. not going to see one of the bigger plots coming in the movie. Well, I'm about to talk about it. So are you gonna talk about if it? If you don't want to be spoiled, go ahead and turn this podcast off or skip forward like five or six minutes. Yeah. Honestly, if you haven't seen the movie, you should watch it right now and not listen to this podcast. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but eventually, Cassius, before his performance is uh, invited to his party at Steve Lift's house. Uh, because he wants to offer him a job, and through a series of mishaps, he ends up discovering Worry Free's newest program, which is they are turning human beings into horse-human hybrids. Yes, equisapiens. Equisapiens, and they're going to use this technology to create the workforce of the future—a a slave, a slave labor force that can—it's faster, stronger, uh, uh, more stamina than human beings. And according to Steve Lift, he hopes they gripe less. So. That, and their plan is to turn Cassius into the Martin Luther King Jr. of Equisapiens, controlled opposition that Worry Free will have on their payroll to work for them and keep the Equisapiens in line. Um, and then that's a crazy revelation in the movie. You actually see the horse people, and it's it's a pretty shocking moment. Yeah, it's actually a pretty good practical effect they do throughout the movie. Um, and then uh, uh, Cassius, of course, is disgusted by this. But the great thing about the scene is that is that Steve Lift is incapable of, of understanding that what he's saying is insane to Cassius. Yeah, he says it like it's plain English, like it's yeah. it's, it's all it's all worry free, you know. He says it with this like clear eyed sort of just like rational nature yeah, that like you can't. Like, you become a horse, you be MLK for them. We mm-hmm. pay you. You serve all of our interests. It makes perfect sense. What are you griping about? $100 million for five years of work. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so Cassius um, tries to reject this. He tries calling the paper. He gets written off as a, as a crank. He tries to... Uh, he, he literally goes on this television show where he gets a shit beaten out of him. And then he That's, gets dipped in shit. And dipped in shit. 
and shows the clip of the Equisapiens to the world and proves without a doubt this is what they're doing. And the response is that, that, that worry-free stock shoots up in price, that they are congratulated for their scientific achievements in, in the art of making labor better. And, and there's people who want to become horse people. There's a cult on the street who wants to become horse people. So the system doesn't work. Yeah. And so... After that, they, he gets back with the strikers and they organize a, a real way to break the power callers uh, uh, one day of getting in, but that calls in the cops. And a riot happens. And during this riot, uh, the Equisapiens show up because Cassius had gone back to the to Steve Lewis mansion and freed them. And together, the strikers and the Equisapiens are able to beat the cops and defeat uh, Regalview, the telemarketing company, and the union wins in the, in, in, in the almost end. Now, Seth, what happens after this? Um, after this, um, Cassius finally gets to be happy. He goes back to his old uh, garage-turned-apartment uh, for his uncle Terry Crews with his girlfriend, played by Tessa Thompson, who also does a fantastic job of the movie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're about to, you know, just do stuff couples do. And then uh, his nostrils start to get all big, and it turns out that he was actually drugged and turned into an Equisapien. Mm-hmm. Which leads to the credits roll right there for just a second, and it comes back up. Steve Lift sitting in his house, you know, just like, oh god, you know, fucking shit's wild. And then he gets a call, um, and he's on his video monitor. He sees that Cassius and a couple of the Equisapiens are at his uh, gate, and he's like, hey, this is Cassius Green from Stop a Mud Hole in Your Ass dot com. And then they bust into his house, and you can kind of assume what happens from there. Yeah. So the great thing about this movie is it does show the power of organizing, of, of, of working with your fellow workers to, to win your rights and that you're going to have to unionize to, to get what you want. But then it goes the crucial final step of showing that no matter what you do, even in the very end when you've won your concessions, the capitalists will still see you as a piece of meat and treat you accordingly. And the only answer, the only answer is revolution. Yep. It has to be violent overthrow of the systems of power because they will not respect you. They will not let you keep your victory. We've seen it here in America. And the movie finally just lays it out bare and says, we're going to have to fucking revolt at some point. Yes. So sorry to bother you. Um, definitely one of the more, I'd say, more important movies of this year. Um, I think, especially since it has this... Um, it's got it's very colorful and it's got a magical realist um, like style to the whole movie. A lot of really cool transitions um, come out of that style, and it's also funny and it's mm-hmm. got a lot of actors people like. And I think that because of that, I think some of the audience in this movie came just because they liked some of the actors and thought the trailer was funny. But maybe you know maybe they learned something from it because the movie does have a very clear message, a very directed message, and it doesn't play around. It doesn't um, it doesn't try and um, it never tries to redeem the capitalist. It never mm-hmm. does anything. Um, to be bipartisan. It really shows what has to be done for the revolution to happen. And it has some great moments of skewering sort of like modern uh, capitalist culture, like the exclusive VIP room at the bar, which is just shitty, and Cassius gets a drink spilled on him, and, and no one seems to like him in there. And he comes back, but he says that it rules. He's, he's like, like, that's the most baller shit I've ever done. Yeah, exactly. So he's like lying to himself, and then he hates it. He says, pretend like he does. And also, I like the character... Uh, played by, what's her name, Kate Berlant? Is that her yes, name? Yes, Kate Berlant. She plays sort of this, like, touchy-feely middle manager. Team sort of leader. Like, team leader, right, for for this job. And she does such an excellent job of doing corporate doublespeak. Yeah, wishy-washy bullshit. Exactly. And I, I love I loved the fact that they, that they sort of, like, pointed out this whole bullshit of, like, the, I'm on your side, we're all on the same team here, of a manager telling you that. So yeah. it's, it's really good. Uh, so yeah, if you have some sorry to bother you, and you're still listening because you uh, don't care about spoilers or whatever, or you skip past it, uh, go see the movie, yeah. rent it on on whatever, fucking illegally download it. Boots Riley will be fine with that. Yeah, he'd, he'd be fine. He titled one of his one of his records "Steal This Album," so go for it, man. Um, so that was our first movie. This movie was just our second. So when when I showed up here. Um, from my humble abode, I came and we had an idea. We were there were two movies we, we like knew we wanted to watch. They were Sorry to Bother You and the new Netflix movie um, The Night Comes for Us, mm-hmm. which is a martial arts movie made with the guys who made The Raid Redemption and then The Raid Two. Um, big fans of both those movies. Pretty much knew we were gonna like that one, um, but we didn't know what it fit into our schedule because we had a tight schedule. And then all of a sudden we we were we we kept hearing this movie called First Reformed, yep. starring Ethan Hawke, um, and. 
so and we've heard so many good things about it. like people i people i trust people i really like have said so many good things about this movie mm-hmm. so we were like it's on it's on amazon prime why not let's check it out yeah um and i've got to say a lot of movies um when you use the term like wasted potential on a movie it's usually because the movie had a good idea and just never never executes on it this movie had a it had a it was a great movie it was a movie that I was enthralled by. I was absolutely loving. And I knew, like, I was like, they are going to build up to an incredible, incredible ending. And it's going to hit us like a bag of bricks. And then they don't do the ending. And they don't even do a bland ending. They do a cop-out ending that literally ruined a movie that I was very much enjoying. And it wasted all of the potential. The movie is an hour and 55 minutes long. An hour and 50 minutes of it are fucking amazing. And the last five minutes make it a movie that I'll probably give two out of ten stars. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't seen the movie, um, or you don't know anything about it, uh, Ethan Hawke, great actor, one of my favorite actors that yeah. works today, uh, plays a priest, not a priest, a reverend, yes, a reverend. of a church. Um, he used to be an army chaplain, and he, he convinced his son to enlist in the military, and he died. Uh, in Iraq, um, and, sent, and after that he got divorced from his wife, and he was put in charge of this church called the First Reformed Church. I think it's upstate New York is where it takes place yeah. at. Um, but First Reformed is not its own independent church. It is uh, it's it's basically owned and operated as a souvenir shop by a mega church yes. uh, down the road um, uh, called Abundant Life. Abundant Life, yes. And so uh, with Bernie Mac is the the head pastor. No, there. it's not Bernie Mac. Cedric the Entertainer. The Bernie Mac is dead. God damn it. You're forgetting your kings of comedy. I am forgetting my kings of comedy. You're looking at say fucking D.L. Hewley. That would be crazy. Um, but no, so this this mega church is uh, uh, it's what it is. It's a fucking mega church. It's obviously yeah. a, a for profit business that dresses itself as a religion. Um, and so yeah, he basically is just getting by in his life. He's super sick. He's pissing blood. He's in pain all the time. Yeah, he's like on his deathbed at all moments in the movie. Yeah, and then one day after he has dude, he has a congregation of like. Eight people in the church. Yeah, um, uh, one of them comes to him, played by Amanda Seyfried. Seyfried, it's not like whatever. Who cares? Uh, she's the blonde with the big ass eyes. That's how I remember. She's like an alien. Um, she comes to him and says she wants him to speak to her husband because her husband uh, is an environmental act- activist. He just got out of jail, and because he want he, and he wants her to have an abortion because uh, she's pregnant, and so he agrees. And they have a little conversation at their house. Well, Seth, what do you think about this conversation that happened? I thought it was. I thought it was really interesting. Like I do like when movies like if you can craft a good conversation, um, and you can linger on it for a while, it's pretty good. And the com- the movie does that pretty well. The, the conversation lasts a good ten to like maybe ten minutes of the whole movie. Yeah, is just these two guys talking. It almost led me to believe that I thought the whole movie might because I hadn't seen a trailer or anything. So I thought maybe the whole movie was just me these two guys talking because yeah. it was pretty interesting. Um, but basically, the um, the environmentalist guy explains that he doesn't want to bring a baby in this world because you know by 2025 will like, not have any more trees and 2050 the water will uh, engulf all this environmental stuff you know just mm-hmm. stuff that's going to happen in the world and he was like you know it's not fair to bring a child in this world knowing that we brought all this about um and we, when we have a, a good measure to stop it um ethan Hawke tries to explain that there's still beauty in life and there's still you know things uh, things unexpected and miracles can happen um doesn't really convince the, the guy that much, they kind of have a, a um, non... There's no resolution. There's no the resolution, argument. yeah. There's no resolution in the, in the whole thing. They just kind of, like, trail off at the end. And so the um, they're, they're going to meet again. They're going to they're talk to us again. And in the meantime, the next day, uh, the wife calls uh, Ethan Hawke, Reverend Toller, up again and says that she he needs to come over immediately because she found in the, ba- in the garage... A suicide vest that her yes. husband has created. It was a, a vest with like all C four explosives mm-hmm. on it, um, very much used for suicide bombing. Yeah. So Toller takes the he takes the the suicide vest away and then agrees to meet the husband the next day, and the husband tells him to come to a nature trail to meet him. And when he comes out there, the guy's eating a shotgun shell, very shell. brutally, head blown in half on the snow. Yeah, it was rough. Yeah. And so Toller kind of takes this rough, like he, he doesn't, because he, he feels bad, right? Because the guy was a member of the congregation, just died. Um, he go, they spread the guy's ashes at a toxic waste site. Yeah, this um, is all in his will. He wanted his ashes spread there, and he wants to have a, like a little ceremony, uh, a funeral-esque ceremony at there. And they, they even have um, the choir kids from the Abundant Life Church who sing an um, environmentalist anthem. Yeah. 
And so after this, um, what's going to happen is the church he works for, First Reformed, is about to go to its 250th uh, reconsecration. reconsecration. And the guy funding all this is a capitalist uh, named, uh, what was his name, Balk? Balk. Balk. And he um, he puts on this kind of folksy blue jeans and jacket wearing normal guy, but he gets out of a suburban and he has like private security watching him at all times. And Tyler confronts him over the pollution his company creates, and he does not take it well. Yeah, because the capitalist guy, he was trying to talk to them about the reconsecration and like how the ceremony should go. And he's like, oh, there's, but there's not going to be anything political. And they're like, yeah, what do you like? What do you mean? Why would that happen? And he brings up an article about the uh, Reverend Toller doing this ceremony. Reverend Toller was just, he's just like, oh, well, I mean, this was in the guy's will. It's what he wanted. But then Toller, who had, for, at the, up to this point in the movie, been very much a pushover. He did anything anyone told him to and didn't really ever fight. Um, he decides to actually be like, hey, but, you know, it is kind of fucked up what you guys do, and, like, who's who's actually winning from this scenario? Mm-hmm. He, he even brings up that whole point. And the capitalist then proceeds to blame Toller for the death of the environmentalist by saying that he counseled him and then the guy killed himself. Yeah. Which is fucking really dick move to pull on somebody. Uh, and so after this, Toller kind of starts getting radicalized. He's on the internet, he's researching global warming, he's reading the, the environmentalist files, he's starting to agree, you're like... And he, he's he's on board. And at this point, he's also kind of like hanging out with the widow a bit. They're kind of becoming friends. Um, you know, he's, he's going to the doctor. He learns he probably has like really advanced cancer. Um, and then uh, towards the end of the movie, you, you get the idea that uh, Toller is going to put the suicide vest on at the reconsecration where the, where the capitalists and the governor and all kinds of like other corporate people will be. And he's going to blow himself up. And... And try and like stop yeah. some of the pollution. So at this point, we're we're at an inflection point in the movie where it has a couple of paths that I can see in front of it. Mm-hmm. There is real quick though before you go on this, I just want to say one thing. I saw one small scene we had between Toller and the megachurch pastor. Yes, when he goes to his office to meet him, and he talks about the fact that the church has not been saying anything at all about global warming. They haven't been trying to to, 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 to uh, intervene in the political sphere. And Toller is, I think, this is his last-ditch attempt. He's really trying to, to have faith in the system and retain hope by trying to convince the megachurch pastor that they need to work together to to do something about global warming, to, like, to create a religious front uh, of opposition to this kind of stuff. But before this scene happened, he'd been researching and saw this Balt guy was giving hundreds of thousands of dollars to Abundant Life Church. So the pastor won't hear anything about it. He won't deal with it. So Toller is rejected. And that's where we lead into the ending. Now, I'm sorry, Seth, please sorry. continue. We've got some paths here. We, we kind of theorized some while we were watching it. One is, you know, even though it would be unexpected, a very explosive, he gets up there, blows motherfuckers up. Mm-hmm. Um and one thing we should mention, I guess, before we talk about this, is that in a scene very much um, before the reconsecration, um, Toller Ethan Hawke is talking to Amanda Seyfried's character and tells her not to show up to the reconsecration, mm-hmm. and she's like, and he like, she's like, no, I'll go anyway, and he's like, no, like fucking don't, and she's like, okay, cool. Um, he made another a really cool ending that we we thought of was maybe he goes up there, tries to blow himself up realizes it's faulty mm-hmm. and kind of has to deal with the, the the backlash of that um and you know even even morbidly maybe he just kills himself maybe he realizes this this isn't for him and he just goes out those are kind of the endings that can happen and that i think can make it at least make some kind of an impact um so we get into the final scene they're at the reconcentration they start so the service is it's simulcast so the big main service is in the first reformed church where ethan hawk is going to be opening up and there's a simulcast one in the abundant life which has like seven thousand people in it. so mm-hmm. a lot of people are watching this um ethan hawk puts on the suicide vest puts over all his robes and stuff and all of his everything so you can't really see it he just looks like he looks like he's a regular you know reverend and they're all setting up Cedric the Entertainer is like, where is this guy? Everyone's like getting testy. Like, where is um, the Reverend? Um, he's getting ready. He looks out and he sees Amanda Seyfried's character um, going to thing. And this is where he gets into a fluster. And th- this is where I thought he was something cool. Maybe something kind of still cool was going to happen. Because earlier in the movie, he had like picked up some barbed wire out of the, like, the church um, graveyard. Graveyard assuming just to recycle it then he had it in his closet he goes takes off all of his clothes like all of the, like his shirt starts wrapping the bar wire around his body he's bleeding there's like all this kind of like blood and cuts 
all that's over him. And then he puts his his um, vest back on, and then he goes and takes a Drano, fills a whiskey glass up with a Drano, and basically what we found out he's about to drink it because he's he knows he's too much of a wimp to go in there and possibly kill a Man of Cypress character since she's, he's very close to her, mm. and he's just gonna off himself in this very. I guess you can say biblical way with all the barbed wire and you know, it's kind of like the Jesus on the cross kind of um, um, imagery you have there from him like being cut and everything. Um, so I'm like, okay, cool. That's how the movie's gonna end. Not a terrible ending. Mm-hmm. It, it can still this can still be okay. You wanna you wanna take it from here? What happens instead is he's standing there and he has the Drano in his hand and he looks over and all of a sudden, Mattis Heifer's character Mary, ugh, uh, yeah. so on the nose. Is standing there looking at him. He drops the Drano and they run to each other and they passionately embrace. And credits. And fucking credits. No payoff to any of the build up. Nothing happens. Yeah. They the movie had the movie had an incredible opportunity to make a real stand, much like something that sorry to bother you did. It had a chance to be like, hey, this capitalist guy, fuck him. Let's let you know he's he's dead now. Like he's mm. fucked up. Um, they had they have the opportunity to at least have Ethan Hawke um, make even if he doesn't kill him make some kind of oh maybe he's like he has the barbed wire on and he walks in there and he's like this is what you guys are doing to the earth even something like that would have been a fucking iota of a payoff to what happened other than oh him and the widow make out and he's still certainly gonna die mm-hmm. and the capitalist is still gonna keep polluting the world and he's never nobody is gonna have a message sent to them. It is a fucking blue balls of an ending I've ever seen one and I wanna watch this movie out of my fucking brain if I can. Yeah, it's just like Paul Schrader, man, this one was a stinker. And I, I it's crazy to even say that that Paul that Paul Schrader made a bad movie. But I mean he I, in my opinion, in my opinion, a bad ending can ruin a good movie. Yeah. And, and, and even a so-so ending would be like, okay, you know, this didn't pay off. But they actively made me angry. They actively said, fuck you to the viewer, in mm-hmm. my opinion, um, to give you no actual conclusion to the movie. Yeah. And because of that, I just, I cannot recommend this movie. And I would love for somebody who likes this movie to explain to me why why you can like it with that ending. If you can do that for me, I will be very, I still won't like the movie, but I'll at least maybe understand where you're coming from. And the thing I'm thinking about it is that the really coward, the, the, the cowardice of the movie is, is is evident in one simple fact, is that it never, ever, ever attempts to, once it is, is in, in the ending stages, it never attempts to address the environmentalist concerns. He's correct. We've, we've shown that he's correct. We see that the, the answers Toller gave him were bullshit. And then at the very end, the movie asks us to believe that the bullshit was true. And... So it doesn't matter. Like he, it doesn't change anything. The status quo remains unaffected by the events of this movie. And what is the point of it then? Like, what is it trying to show us? Oh, don't don't care about the end of the world. Don't try and fight back against our own, you know, multiple crises that are incoming. No, it doesn't. It just says it doesn't say anything. It just says this guy will learn to uh, hope again or something. Yeah. With the power of Fuck love. Fuck your hope, you fucking idiot. Make a fucking point. Make a fucking message, Paul Schrader. Fuck. Like, do something. Yeah, that movie actively makes me angry thinking about it. There are there are movies, there are fair, there are awful movies that I can like more than this. Like, it it just made me hate myself for watching it. I've heard so many people call it the best movie of 2018, and I I could not disagree more. I could not disagree more. And we're about to talk about why. Yes. One, I didn't like that movie. Mm-hmm. But two. We may have watched what I consider the best movie of 2018 just mere minutes before this podcast started. Yeah. That movie is The Night Comes for Us on Netflix. If you, maybe you're maybe you're a person out there who's like, Netflix's movies aren't that good. You're, you're right. Over, overall, Netflix's movies are just okay. Mm-hmm. Um, some pretty bad. Um, this one, you're going to be wrong on. Yeah. This movie is head and shoulders the best thing Netflix has made, and... With a heavy heart, knowing the implications of this, I think it might be the best movie I've seen this year. Like, on a story standpoint, it's not. There's, I don't think it has the best story I've well, seen. Well, it's a, it's a very simple, time-tested story. A gangster is pushed too far. He's at, he, he's told to do something. He just he, he's had too much, and he turns on the gang, and they come after him. Yes. The story, like, yeah, it's very simple. I mean, kind of like the, the Raid movies. The, mm-hmm. Just the guys who made this also made the Raid. The Raid 2 probably has a little more complex of a story. But the first Raid, bunch of guys in a building, we gotta beat them all up. 
that's the whole movie and it's fucking incredible it's one of the best movies i've ever seen mm-hmm. um this movie very similar um it doesn't it doesn't have a story to fight with movies like sorry to bother you or black panther or any of that stuff that i consider the best of the year mm-hmm. but i have not had this much fun watching a movie in a long time i'll say um yeah, it starts up early on with the, with the fight scenes, and it does not stop. Yeah, there's a, there's much. a good like 15, 20 minutes in the middle where they like finally get into some of the backstories of the characters, mm-hmm. and then from the other than that, it is wall to wall fighting, and it is gory as fuck. You are not if you like blood and guts and literal like chunks of human being blown up into the air, mm-hmm. you will fucking enjoy this movie. It reminded me a lot of RoboCop, the original. The original RoboCop, RoboCop yeah. Just, I mean, because one good thing this movie is, they did not use CGI blood. It was blood packs. It was squibs. Shit got gory. And all the fight scenes are pretty long. Yeah. And they take up a lot of, they take up a lot of physical space. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, there are, and if you are into, like, if you're in a hand-to-hand combat, there's no way that you won't like this movie. It's, yeah. It has everything that you need. It's got, and it's got multiple people who are all, like, kind of fighting towards the same thing. Mm-hmm. And... Basically, there's I think in the center of the movie, as far as what you could consider good to neutral guys, you have like three total badasses who are all just fighting battles, helping each other, hurting each other, doing a little bit of everything, and it 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 just culminates in some of the best fighting, some of the best choreography, like especially with um, there's one character who uses kind of like I guess it's like a piano wire kind of like like a weighted piano yeah, wire, like a weighted yeah. piano wire, like a little like two ball bearings and you throw them around like you latch on to something you pull it it's in a can, glove that she has yeah yeah and you can destroy like if you get it on someone's arm you can like rip their arm off like yeah. and it'll just like, s- s- like skin them basically mm-hmm. um and there's there's like there's scenes in the movie where she's fighting with somebody who like has a like has a blade and they're the, the choreographers keep up so well with like oh if they're in this position this this is where the blade's gonna be this is where the wire's gonna be and just all this like almost like a just a beautiful ballet of like all these crazy weapons and there are scenes where there's like characters who are fighting 20 30 guys in wa- like waves of zombies are coming at them and they're yeah. coming up they're using everything in the vicinity to fight and keep their lives mm-hmm. and it is just so fucking there's so many moments in the movie where i jumped up out of my chair and like got excited that like somebody had like had a knife drug like from their wrist down to their elbow and like their whole fucking arm was destroyed yeah it's it was a movie that it knew what it was about and it did it that's all it did was the one thing it knew it was about which was delivering good fucking fight scenes consistently um, and also, I've, the Raid movies, in my opinion, are very interesting in how they, they mix a lot of firearms and martial arts together. Yeah. Uh, most of these kind of do one or the other, but this one was like a lot of like, kung fu turns into like gun, machine guns. Yeah. There's, a, there's a fight in the back of a police van that it also incorporates explosives. Yeah, guns, explosives, tasers, everything in like, the combined back of a van. Yep. Grenades at one point are used. C4 on walls is used. And, I mean, when they use C4, you see people get reduced to bloody chunks. Yeah, like, I mean, when I say you have bits and chunks of people, you do. Like, you actually get to see, like, chunks of their body fly up into the air and be on the floor. Yeah. This movie had a fucking blood budget that was probably on par with with Brain Dead. Yeah, like Kill Bill or something. Like, Dude. And just the amount of blood you see. And it had a great, uh, a great three, like the three-person fight at the end that was uh, all women. Which all was women. Interesting. And it was amazing. It was so fun. They incorporated so many different things, and I don't know, like the movie pulled no punches. It yeah. was, it was so fun to watch. Um, it washed First Reformed out of my fucking brain. Mm-hmm. It's a movie that I was hyped for. And that delivered on its promises. Yeah. Um, much like Sorry to Bother You and much unlike First Reformed, which is now the enemy of this podcast. <laughs> Paul Schrader declared enemy number one. In fact, we might have to change one of our... We might just be saying mm. fuck First Reformed yeah. instead of Tom Brady now. Um, but yeah, if you saw the raid one or two or whichever one and you like them, you need to fucking watch The Night Comes for Us. Yeah. These guys need to do more stuff. I hope Netflix keeps making movies from them because... Yeah. Like, and the thing is, like, I'm a sucker for it. Because, like I said, the stories are all very basic. But if you throw enough cool fight scenes at me, I'm going to love the movie. And if you can choreograph a good fight scene, that's mostly what you need to get me on board. 
I don't know what that move was. That at one point, uh, uh, one of the women in the, movie, in the operator, she performs a like an RKO from fucking wrestling on the main character on a bathroom sink. Yeah, but she does like a sideways flip in the middle of it and just fucking destroys his face. Dude, that the, all the fight scenes were so fucking good in that movie. Um, I love a good martial arts movie, man. Yeah, there's. Love I mean, the the Raid Redemption. The, the, Funny enough, if you haven't seen the Raid movies, the first one has a subtitle, which is mm-hmm. weird for a series. And the second one doesn't. It's just called The Raid Do. Yeah. Um, but The Raid Redemption is legitimately my top ten favorite movies of all time. I, I can watch it all the time. I just think it's such a fucking fun movie. I love martial arts. And if you like that stuff, you will like The Night Comes for Us. And, it's, and if you even if you like not that much on the hand-to-hand stuff, but you are into gore, you'll like it. Because they give you plenty of it. Yeah. They, when they beat someone to death... They beat them to death, and their head will split in half, and you will see it. You'll see their fucking teeth fly out of their body. Like a deflated bag covered in hair on that one dude. Yes. My favorite character, White Boy Bobby. Yes, there's there in the, the movie like for a movie that I would say um, like in a lot of martial arts movies. Like I mean, I think the characters are ancillary sometimes. Like the, the characters are big archetypes, kind of, mm-hmm. and they just fill in. Um, this movie has some interesting characters, even even if they're only a movie for a short time. It had interesting characters. Um, they really ooze life and not only the way they fight but in the way they talk and the way they taunt and uh, the way they die like yeah. even, even that like um, really comes from their character and I think that, I think there's just a really really fucking fantastic movie yeah and I haven't seen something like it in a while and like I said it might if it's not the best movie of 2018 it's in my top five for sure bold bold words but yeah. uh yeah I mean what can you say just a fun just a fun movie to watch three word review for the night comes for us fuck first reform because <laughs> they're such similar films like they, they are very similar in that I wanted to watch both of them yeah. <laughs> and it's a, a similarity they had and one of them delivered I, I would say they, they, they carry through some important themes you know uh, yeah <laughs> but um so yeah it, uh, those were our three movies we watched over yeah. Thanksgiving sorry to bother you holiday. highly recommend Night Comes For Us controversially even more recommend mm-hmm. Um, first reformed, don't don't even bother. No, see if you listen to us, what we our review, that's all you need to know. That's that's pretty much the entire movie. It doesn't really. Uh, it just kind of supports. Oh yeah, spoilers for first reformed. By the way. Oh yeah, Forgot we should have said that. that. Yeah, we didn't really care about the spoilers. Yeah. For first and we can't reformed. even really spoil the night comes for us for you because it's just. What is there to spoil? There's that's just true. lots of cool fights and it's awesome. You'll love it. That's true. That's true. Well, Seth, we talked about movies. That was movie cast. Mm-hmm. I would like uh, I want to talk about something from uh, my hobby, from my personal passion, uh, which is tabletop role playing games. Uh-huh. Uh, nerd shit. Uh, in case you're listening to this podcast, fucking nerd alert. Um, so there's this game. It came out in the '90s, and it was it was it was made a huge splash because it first of all it, it, it played into two things. It played into the people. People were looking for something different than D and D. They wanted an alternative to Dungeons and Dragons, that something like Palladium's get rifts and whatever couldn't couldn't really provide. They wanted something mature, and it also played into the burgeoning sort of like goth uh, aesthetic, the goth uh, uh, scene. That, that game was Vampire, uh, Vampire uh, the re- the Vamp Masquerade, I believe, was what it, the first one edition was. Uh, made by a company called White Wolf. Um, you've heard of them, right, Seth? Yeah, of course. Uh, so where so so it got popular. They spun off some other games like a uh, Werewolf and Changeling and all that kind of stuff. And then eventually moved on and created what they called the New World of Darkness, which was when they discontinued all the old. Uh, the, the old game had a lot of what they called meta plot. So it was like more books would come out that would like move the story of the game forward, not caring what your game was doing. And then kind of after the 90s, we moved away from the idea of Metaplot and towards more of a, we're just going to present you with a setting and you do what you want with it. And not like trying to write a fucking novel in the middle of an RPG. Uh, but recently, the company had been bought, well not recently, a couple years ago, had been bought a Paradox. You know, makers of like video games like Stellaris and uh, Hearts of Iron and Crusader Kings. I'm sure that's probably their biggest game yes. for a lot of people Crusader Kings. Um, they've been, they, they refocused on uh, sort of like relaunching the lines again and refining them in some ways. And Vampire uh, Fifth Edition just came out. I guess is what it was called, um, and it was uh, uh, sort of a return uh, to form. the The game ca- ha- contained a lot of questionable stuff in it. Uh, uh, they once used an example of a dice roll where the outcome was one four eight eight, 
and no, just they, they kind of had no idea what that meant. Uh, so that was a little weird. They they made one of the clans of vampires. Their weakness was called Triggered, uh, which some people didn't like as well. Pretty immature, in my opinion, to fucking name it that. Uh, the, the old one was much better. But the most recent thing was that in their recent... Uh, a book they just put out, they... Uh, uh, I'm not sure if anybody listening to this podcast is up on their Chechenian uh, lore from recently in history, but Chechnya's not doing too good, y'all. It's yeah, pretty rough over the show there. Barry, if you have it. a lot of <laughs> Chechnya knowledge you can get from that show. Chechnya is currently putting LGBT people in concentration camps, uh, and it's it's real fucked up, y'all. Um, it's really it's a bad scene for for gay people in in Chechnya. And the vampire book uh, blamed they 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 talked about this actual real world event happening and said that vampires were behind it. It was supposed to distract from their vampiric agenda. Well, word got out about this, and there was a lot of hubbub amongst the elf gaming community. And uh, uh, White Wolf seemed to be sort of like uh, taking some flack for it. And then the Chechnyan government found out. And Chechnya is run by a strong man uh, currently. And the person that was accused of being a vampire in the book was his son. And he is not happy about this. Um, threatening to sue them, uh, their distributors in Europe, for, for this for this kind of thing. So in response, Paradox basically just killed White Wolf and said, uh, we're, shutting you, we're shutting White Wolf down, we're folding all of it back into Paradox uh, uh, proper, and we're going to license out the games in the future to other companies to handle. So my question is, Seth... How do you react to someone who wrote a, who wrote an RPG so bad it killed their entire company? I mean, I guess just throw it on your resume. Like <laughs> I did something so bad that on the international scale, mm-hmm. they had to shut down the company that I worked for. <laughs> um, you got yourself and your bosses fired. Yeah, you got everyone who worked with you and you worked for fired <laughs> because you decided to. Um, Belittle a pretty big problem that's going on, I'd say. Trivialize it. Trivialize it. Fantasize it in a way. Uh, By the way, the guy's name who's responsible for this is Mark Rain Dot Hagen. That's right. He legally changed his name so that his hyphen is now a dot. So when you when you when you write it out, it has to be a dot. The silence shows how amused I am by this man's decision. Uh, not not nearly as interesting as the other writer, Phil Satiros Brucato, a man who thinks he's a literal wizard and is probably uh, well, I won't say on this podcast. I don't want to get sued for uh, I don't want to get sued for defamation. The third guy who writes on this, his name is Jeff Jones. He's <laughs> he's a pretty by the books guy. Yeah, he's just a normal regular dude like yeah. like most people are. So that was my that was my contribution here from the elf gaming community and politics. Seth, what I know something happening in sports recently that you wanted to talk about. Oh, what was happening there? The, um, the basketball gods have looked down on all sports fans and have put the Golden State Warriors, um, a team that at the beginning of the season I said sees the means of production in the NBA. Um, they've put them on a four game losing streak, which is the first time they've ever lost four games in a row under their current coach, and it is. It's a blessing to watch. It is like it's actively making me stronger as a basketball fan, and especially a fan who would like to see Golden State maybe not win this year. Um, it's actively making me stronger and happier, and I'm like have a I have more pep in my step because of this stuff. Recently, you seem like you've been you've had more vitality about you. You're, yes, you, you've been you've been happier. I can actually jump 14 inches in the air. <laughs> no one is talking about this, but I can. Seth is a goddamn 14 inch vertical leap. Yes. I've seen it. I can dunk now from a standing position. I've watched him leap 14 inches in the air. Yeah. Um, but I did want to talk to you real quick about something happening in, in uh, uh, outside of the realm of P-Sports. We got eSports. We got eSports. Did you see that the U.S. Army is forming an eSports team? Yes, and they're one of the most formidable force in, <laughs> in all of Call of Duty. <laughs> oh, man. I just have to wonder, what is the U.S. Army... Are they going to play, like, League? Like, is that I would love, a I wanna, thing? I wanna, I'm fine with the Army doing this as long as they make the... Um, esports players follow a similar regimen to the <laughs> regular army. Like you gotta wake up at like four a.m., mm-hmm. take a shower that's like just a bottle of water. Yeah, and you gotta run like five miles, and you gotta do drills on whatever game you're playing. Right. Um, for days, I feel like that would uh, really energize the esports. Um, I don't. I don't, I've heard this. I don't know what games they're going to be playing yet. I, I just heard that it's. It's like I feel like one guy was like, "Hey, we should do esports," and they're like. 
We need some press. Put it out there. We're gonna do esports. We got it. Just, just say it. We don't have to know which ones. We're just doing them. We do, that's the, you just say esports, right? Can you, can you see more. the U.S. Army Smash player? Oh my God, the guy playing Super Smash Brothers. Wave Dash Harder, you fucking maggot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Cancel that attack now. Only if he's playing melee, guys. Just to be the nerd here. There's no wave dashing in any other Smash game. Is there anyone that matters besides melee? I mean, Smash 4 had a pretty big scene, and now Smash Ultimate's coming out, and it's gonna—it's already have—it already has several, several, several t- for the whole year. It already has tournaments planned out for it, so yeah, it's gonna—it's gonna be pretty big. I'd wait, say. I thought the uh, uh, wait, hold on. There's melee. There's brawl. Smash 4. Is that just called Smash 4? It's technically called Super Smash Brothers for the Wii U and 3DS, but we just mm. call it Smash 4. I missed that one apparently. Yeah, it's, it's the and the new one is called Wii. Ultimate, correct? Smash Ultimate. Okay, yeah, I just kind of heard people were disappointed in Brawl, and it didn't yeah. really. Do yeah, Brawl the same didn't things. take off as it had an esports scene, but it never really eclipsed Melee. Um, Smash Four eclipsed Melee in the amount of players, just because it was so accessible, but never really eclipsed it in the amount of um, views and amount of prestige that comes from it. Um, and now I think Smash Ultimate is gonna, gonna be pretty big as long as as long as there's a good competitor system, it'll be it'll be pretty big too. Okay. Um, but yeah, U.S. Army needs to play Smash. The U.S. Army Let's will do it. Play, they will play Smash. Dude, now what we need next is the U.S. Army streaming team. Yes. Get them on Twitch. Listen, there's so many guys in the Army that can play video games. You can stream 24 hours. You can dominate Twitch forever. Exactly. You can just be always streaming. I'd love to see that. Um, there's all kinds of things we could talk about. So many, th- so many things have happened recently. And we've been sort of like fucking around, you know, just jerking our dicks and eating fucking th- turkey around yeah, we, here. We were gonna, we were like, oh, yeah, we're gonna record a, an episode and a bonus episode, uh-huh. and then start a new podcast and yeah. do all this. And we were like, and now here we are. We just, we just got lazy, man. We got too many movies. We were gonna start our uh, Agitsuko uh, fan cast. Uh, that's a thing that I know a lot about. Yeah, Agitsuko. It's a a Netflix anime about an angry uh, animal. Yeah. Yeah, those those are always something it's you a, see a it's lot. It's aggressive, so I guess it's just called Agret Suko. Yeah, that's what it is. Um, I think I want to talk about this this okay. thing. And here's the thing: I'm gonna go ahead and give a disclaimer for everybody. I'm not sure this is true or not, and I say that I, I'm still gonna talk about it because I haven't seen anyone say that it's not true. But I'm I every time that I read it, I cannot believe that it's real. Um, so basically, there's a company based out of Tel Aviv. Imagine that. Which claims they are going to start using facial recognition technology uh, and machine learning to discern people's uh, personalities based on their the shape of their face and head. And we had a word for this back in the day. It was called phrenology. Yes. And it was bullshit. And is now frowned upon. Uh-huh. Yeah. And there's also another term called like physiognomy or something like that, which yeah. is the face specifically. Now, Seth... You're the resident uh, tech genius. I'm the techie, yes. Tell me about machine learning. I'm going to preface this whole thing by saying, um, if you know anything about the tech industry and like the whole startup culture, it's one, a lot of these startups, just like this one included, I'm going to, I'm just, I'm going to make a wild claim here that I don't know, I don't actually know about this company. They're, they're going to fall under the category of startups who have an idea and a website, but no actual tech. Okay. They, make, they make a bold claim. They can put some graphic stuff about it on the internet. They don't have any actual technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and they it's basically the whole... It's a, it's a big gamut to just get money out of venture capitalists, um, cut deals for yourself, and then run. You know, get, get yourself a good salary, not really devel- deliver on your first product, and then just get out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, if, if I'm going to pretend that this is real... And that um, this machine learning um, thing is gonna work, and this this artificial intelligence is gonna guess somebody's IQ. Um, I guess I'm gonna say that um, machine learning is the process of telling a computer, which um, computers are in essence the dumbest things in the world. You have to, if you want to do anything with a computer, you have to tell it specifically what it needs to do. Mm-hmm. Um, machine learning is the principle of kind of getting past that in that you start by telling the computer everything it needs to it needs to know, and then you give it a system, um, usually some kind of algorithm, some kind of, um, uh, what do you call it? Basically algorithm, some kind of network for it to access and take any kind of knowledge you've given it. So let's say in this case it would be data about people's faces, like their facial structure and their IQ, um, and it would, and from there, it would make its own assumptions 
build different algorithms on top of that and then continue to try to learn it. So whenever, like eventually you can feed it, you'd be able to feed it someone's face and it would give you a prediction of what their IQ is. Mm -hmm. Now, just because a computer can do that, does that mean that it's true? 100% not. No. It's just like, it's like the, it all goes back to the old statistical um, anomaly that shark attacks and ice cream sales are directly related mm -hmm. because shark attacks happen in summer, ice cream is mostly bought in summer, they both go up at the same time. Yeah. Do they actually have any influence on each other? No. Um, but could you tell a computer to guess how much this place is going to sell an ice cream based mm -hmm. on how many shark attacks there are? Probably. Okay. Well, they don't, they don't want to predict IQ. They want, they want to predict if you're a pedophile or you're likely you're a pedophile or a criminal or uh, your religion or like even if you're an atheist. They want to feed those faces into the machine and like try and then make uh, any kind of determination, which is insane. Hey, good luck, guys. <laughs> I've always heard uh, before um, about the whole face recognition thing was that uh, the, 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 comp the cameras had a hard time detecting black people and women. Yeah, that's, still, that's still a problem on my... Um, I did a facial recognition-esque project at one of my old jobs, and still one of the for facial recognition and actually speech recognition, one of the hardest things is that they're they're really only good at white faces and American accents, mm -hmm. um, and some like European accents, but um, anything other than that, it's very hard for those kind of technologies to track right now. The story I read said that the it was I think it was a Google project. The only faces that it would detect as human were white and Southeast Asian, because uh, those are the people who were working on it. That was the team they had working on it. Um, and I think that the point of the article was trying to make was like, like tech has a diversity problem or whatever, which I guess is fair enough. But at the same time, I'm just more worried about them trying to what they're going to apply this face technology to. That's what I'm worried about. <laughs> What's yeah. it going to be used for? As far as this startup, like I said, they're probably all smoke and mirrors. But something we have talked about on this podcast before, I think we talked about it last week, is um, Amazon's project, or Amazon's now bought-out project called Palantir, mm -hmm. which is this on steroids. It's, yeah. it's using AI, data mining, and uh, machine learning to try and predict, not only like help pinpoint where criminals are at any time, but predict who's going to commit crimes, Yeah. which in essence means you're going to try to pre-arrest people, which means you're going to try to pre-profile them and... Where it went, how, when is that going to um, play with our legal system? We have no idea. Look, we already tried this before in the movie Minority Report. And in that movie, they had to use literal psychic people to figure this out, and they were still wrong. Yeah. So I'm, gonna trust, I, I'm not going to trust a fucking psychic. I'm also going to trust a machine to figure out who's going to be a criminal. Okay? Bullshit. I call bullshit on the whole project. We need not do this anymore. Who would you trust more, psychic or a machine? Psychic. Okay. At least they're human. Yeah. Um, but however, we didn't talk about the name of the company, Seth. Did you see what the name was? No. You're going to love this. Faceception. That's pretty good. Again, all these factors, though, make me think it's parody. But everyone I've seen talking about it is talking about it as if it's, as if it's real. There's no indications that it was a joke. So I'm, I'm reporting it to you as if it was fact. But there's so many things in this story that make me think it's not real. And I hope it's not real. I hope it's a joke that someone made. But it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty it's a pretty bad joke. Mm -hmm. But yeah, and it, it's I don't see it getting anywhere. But um, hey, maybe a year from now I'll be wrong. And there will be a machine telling me that I'm a Christian woman in her 30s. <laughs> so. Um, so the other thing I wanted to talk about was uh, this drug that was created in, in uh, Canada. Yep. We're finally talking about drugs. That's right, Real baby. Real quick, hit your blunts, hit your bombs. Toke up, 420. Up, shoot up. Mm -hmm. Snort. Snort. all. Melt your crack rock. I think that's how you do crack. You smell That's right, it. yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So do all that because we're about to talk about drugs. Drop your molly, rub it on your gums, take, uh, drop your acid. Let's do this shit, baby. Yeah, put stuff in your butt. Just do whatever you got to do to get high. Today we're talking about a drug called Glybera, and it pr it fixes genetic disorder. Oh <laughs> yes, I'm getting high already. Uh, this was uh, this was developed over the course of decades at the University of British Columbia to fix a very rare but very severe genetic disorder that affects I mean a very small amount of the population. The company that it was. Um, I guess licensed to or something. I'm not sure how this whole process works. I'm not like a medical or legal person. But it seems to me that the, it was a Canadian drug and the University of British Columbia paid for the most of the, uh, the development of it. But some company somehow gets the rights to it. Well, the company does all this and they create the drug and they see the market is so small. So Seth, 
you took economics 101 that we all did. What happened? What do you? What happens on on the capitalist uh, 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 supply and demand chart when uh, demand is extremely low? When demand is low, supply is high. Exactly. Which always has what, what effect on price? Price goes down. No, price goes up. Oh, price goes up. You're right. So, the the company decided they would sell the drug for one million dollars. That's how they said it in their press conference. Exactly. They did the They finger, put their pinky on uh-huh. their fucking mouth. Um, so no one no one gets access to this drug. No one can afford a million dollars for a drug, right? For something so rare as this. Um, and the company is saying that their price point is justified because they need to think about the investment that was put into creating the drug. And they need to, they need to, they need to pay back their shareholders for the time and money spent on this. But... Most of the bill was footed by a public institution using government money. So they're going to charge a million dollars for a drug, putting it outside the reach of anyone who can actually use it, and therefore, they're not making any profit off of this. There's nothing to be gained from making a million dollars. But their CEO appears to be a, a libertarian dipshit who thinks this is an appropriate thing to do. Um, so, how do you feel about this? Um, I feel like if Martin Shkreli wants any good PR, I, I have a, I have a job for him. Oh my god, dude! Buy out this medication, make it affordable. It's like uh, release that Wu Tang album. <laughs> fuck that dude, man. Um, okay, I'm, release the Wu Tang album first. Save genetic diseases later. Please, man, it's fucking ridiculous. But yeah, basically, it, it took a long time to do all this, and a lot of it was done. Uh, like we, like I said, through a public university, um, so it's all paid for and funded by, uh, by government and public money, like uh, their tax dollars, basically, uh, paid for this. And now the folks that need it most can't get it. Um, so what I'm saying here is that people who tell you that capitalism is the most efficient distribution of resources, um, they're wrong. They're absolutely insane. This this incredible life saving drug that could that could uh, fix the people some of these people's lives has been only given out to three people as part of the trials and never will be given out again because no one can afford a million dollars for an injection of a drug because you want to know why the other reason that they don't do this Seth why the company also sells a treatment that's right a treatment not a cure and the treatment mm-hmm. is therefore more profitable for them here's 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 the the quote exactly from the CEO Van Deventer, okay? Here it is. Um, quote, Why would we? Pricing shouldn't be a political decision. It should be a rational decision based on merits and values, he said. Hundreds of millions of investor money has gone into the company, and there, if there is no return for those investments, there will be no new drugs because nobody's going to do that in the future, right? That's his quote. Again, this drug was paid for by the taxpayers of Canada. Not by his private company. Yes. And so now the benefits are being held forever by a drug company that has no interest in helping people. And even, and to, to fight his point, even if then, let's say he, he by himself paid for the entire thing. Not even his company, just him. Um, the return you're getting on your investment is fixing a fucking huge problem on in the planet. You will get statues of you put up in fucking squares of people if you were actually... Uh, do the right thing here. Yeah. That would be the contribution. That would be the payback people get on their investments. Um, people people often ask, like, what what like, what is the difference in communism and capitalism? What does it look like in, in practice? And it's that communism would produce things like medicines on the basis of human need, not for profit. It doesn't care about whether or not it makes money or not. It's, can we help people with this? Can it fix someone's life? And even if we're fixing just one person's life, that's still a, a human. It's still human need. It's yeah. still helping somebody. Um, so, so capitalism doesn't care about you. Understand that it doesn't care about you as a person, and it will always fuck you over uh, to seek better, to seek more profits. Yeah. No, we've mentioned any of that before, but it's kind of <laughs> how we feel about capitalism. And I haven't done the entire reading on this, but maybe you saw it. I don't know. Uh, you know how some people have that? What do you call them? A uh, it's a device for when you can't sleep right, the sleep apnea sleep or whatever. Apnea. Yeah. Did you see what happened with this guy who was sent one by his uh, drug company? Yeah. Uh, well, his insurance company? What, what happened was they, he went to the doctor to get like a, he needed to get like a new mask or something, like an upgrade on his mask. The doctor prescribed it to him and then when he was going to get it, the insurance company or the company that makes the sleep apnea mask, uh, like one of the big problem the man had was that he kept having to um, 
uh, gets a technician to come out or like a, an assistant to come out and fix the settings on the machine having something went wrong. Um, and it was getting frustrating. So what the company did was like, oh, we'll send you a new like wireless uh, modem settings machine. So you can set your own, like through your laptop, you can set up your own uh, settings. And I had somebody come out all the time. And he was like, cool, that's awesome. Um, but then after they sent that to him and he got all the settings made right and he was fixing them however he wanted, he never got the new mask that he was prescribed by the doctor. Um, and when he called up to find out why, the lady um, on the phone told him that it's because he wasn't complying with his um, regimen. He's like, what do you mean? Turns out that a wireless modem for his settings is actually a modem that was sending the company stats and how he used his thing. So the lady was like, yeah, you only used it for three and a half hours on Monday and like two hours on Tuesday and you haven't used it since. And so, yeah, because of that, we can't actually give you any of the new stuff, even if, and he was like, even if my doctor prescribed it, they're like, yes, even if your doctor prescribed it, we can't give it to you. Um, and the re and the reason that he wasn't using the mask as much was because he needed the new one because the old mask wasn't working for him. Like the way, something about the way that the mask works just wasn't doing it for him, and he needed the new one. So basically, he got fucked out of getting something he needed because he wasn't using something that was bad for him. <laughs> It's insane to me that they were monitoring him. What the fuck is up with these people, man? Yeah. They're monitoring you? These companies are going to do whatever they can to use the technology that we've given them to, uh, you know, fuck us over if they can. Uh, it just, it's it's insane story. It reminds me of that picture I saw earlier this week. Did you see this? Where Amazon was giving some kind of, like, talk about military stuff they're going to be doing. And it was military written in the Amazon style with the, with the fucking smile underneath it. It's not a smile. The arrow, whatever it is, it turned my stomach. Yeah. That Amazon is so de- just so willing to work with the military. Not that it surprises me. Yeah. It's just that they've embedded themselves and ingrained themselves so deeply in our society that what are you going to do? You know, how can you beat Amazon? I mean, hell, our own our own capital, Atlanta, was entertaining the notion of, of having their HQ2 moved here. And what did they offer them? So they, what was their big deal? It was like $2 billion in incentives, which is already crazy. And they were going to dedicate a car on the MARTA, which is the mass transit system in um, Atlanta. They'd dedicate a whole car, um, or two or three cars, just to Amazon employees. Yeah. So you wouldn't be allowed entrance if you weren't an Amazon employee on these cars, even during busy times of the, uh, the MARTA routes. They were going to spend taxpayer money... Not only the two billion dollars in incentives, but to build these new these new Marta cars just for the Amazon employees. What the fuck? And then I just saw yesterday that you know how they they just they announced they're going to have the new places in New York and Virginia at the same time. Uh, I think a couple of Amazon executives or employees bought uh, property in Virginia two days before the announcement was made. And so they, they knew what was going to happen. And they, they didn't buy it to move there for themselves. They bought it because they knew the property value was going to go up so much. Yeah. So they're, now they're going to be able to charge they're incredibly gonna, huge prices. They're going to make prices. a good profit off of this. And that's that's okay. That's the equivalent of insider trading for real estate. But no, the, it's, it's okay. It's not a crime. <clears throat> they give whatever they want. They can do whatever they want to people. Yeah, we, we've gotten to the point where people who work for Amazon, Facebook, Google, they can do almost anything they want. And there's nothing we can do about it. I mean, it's, just, it's really hard to fight these guys. Unless I, we were to actually fight them. I did see that in uh, I think it was Google. Did you see, was it was it was it Google the Somali worker striked in, and they they they, they won concessions from from Google I over can't something. Remember. But it was a bunch of Somali uh, migrant workers. Uh, I believe it was Google who went on strike because um, they, they they weren't going to do something. There was only like thirteen of them, but it was enough to to get Google to back down on whatever it was they're trying to get them to do. There was a women walkout at Google that day too. Yeah, and today actually the Black Friday strikes. Did you see that? Uh, UK, uh, Germany, and Spain all had huge walkouts at Amazon uh, uh, distribution facilities with signs to say "We are not robots," because with like the Amazon boxes as robots moving stuff around, they were just like the working conditions are appalling in the, over there. I wish that would have happened in America. I know, right? The people need to fucking walk the fuck out, dude. I've always had people ask me. Uh, whatever I bring up the fact that I'm, I'm a communist, I guess. Like, well, how do you square that with, with violence? What are you going to do about the fact that it requires violent revolution? Usually my answer is just to laugh. Um, because fuck that. Some people are just going to have to die. That's just the way it's going to have to be. Um, I'm not saying that I want that. I'm not saying that uh, I am particularly planning on anybody in particular. But I am saying that historically speaking, it's going to have to happen. Uh, just looking back at the past. But... The other option that I, I see that we could possibly work to get what we need out of the out of the government out of the capitalists is if we had a general strike, 
if everyone walked out of work and refused to do any work until they came to the fucking negotiating table, we could get something done around here. Yeah. That's one way to non-violently solve our problem. Getting getting close to 100% participation is going to be the problem there, though. Dude, because getting close to even like... a lot of people still think that the system works and that it's going to work for them eventually. I, but I just... I can't shake the feeling that as people's lives continue to get worse, as their material conditions continue to deteriorate, people are going to go... They're going to radicalize. Like... Why is the, why are the left and the right so radicalized right now? Why are there so many people who are growing on both like the Nazi and the leftist side? Because people are disillusioned and they have nothing else in their lives. They they've lost faith in the system. Yeah, and that's gonna happen more. I think. I think more and more people are gonna wake up and one day and realize they don't have anything. Like, what do you got to lose? There's a reason it's called being woke. <laughs> um. Yeah, it's just uh, it's just like a, a matter of, of people's lives continuing to get worse until they they it snaps. I'm a believer that you can only push people so far, and eventually they will they will fucking snap back at you on it. Um, I'm hoping that we can that the left is the one that that accomplishes this. Uh, but that's about it, I think. Yeah, I mean, right? Yeah, even though we we missed <sighs> some some stuff here and there, it's uh, it's kind of sorted itself out throughout yeah. time anyway. So. Yeah. Lots of stuff's been going on uh, that we're not really going to too much touch on. Yeah. But, uh, so yeah, this is the Illennials Podcast. Uh, I'm Smith. You can find me on Twitter, uh, at MCSurf. Um, you can find, I'm Seth. You can find me on Twitter at First Reform Sucks. That's <laughs> um, my, my new Twitter handle that I'm going to use forever now. Um, our theme song is done by the talented Ben Powell. Yep. What's, is he on Twitter? He is on Twitter. Oh, I think it's like the I think it's the Ben Howell. Yeah, on, I think. But he's a podcast. He has a podcast called Southern SmackDown. If you're into wrestling, uh, there've been some great wrestling events lately um, that they've been covering on the podcast. So I definitely check. I definitely check that out if I were you. Yeah, we'll link them in the show notes. Yeah. Um, our art is done as always by the elusive and mysterious uh, international man of intrigue, yes. Marcus Barkley. The human Rubik's cube, Marcus Barkley. Yeah, never gonna figure that man out. Never gonna pin him down. Yeah. Um. So we have stopped trying to solve our problems. We're just trying to outlive them. Fuck first reformed. <laughs> you can How about Kevin Durant as well. No, no, you know what? No more Kevin Durant right now. Okay. Just first just reformed. reformed. Okay. You can lead a horse to water, but it won't get under it. And from New Orleans to New York, that's the Illinois podcast, baby. We're out. Out.